I've been paging through I find the end when I find you And you would do the same thing too Episode 3 of Guitar Tales. My name is Dave Cohen. I am thanking Riverview Studios and the wonderful folks here who've helped us put together this show. Our friend of the show, Scott Engel, who has been so supportive all three episodes. And now, now, we have Jim Slade and Andy Rosenau of Nixon's Head. Thank you guys for coming on the show. Thanks for having Thank us. you for having us. Yeah. Thank you. Now, I have a huge smile on my face, but the people out here won't know why. The reason why is you guys just performed two songs that we'll get through the magic of video spliced in later. I was moved, I will tell you the truth, and I'm not being silly right now, my eyes welled up. Oh. Because these guys have a song, you'll hear it somewhere in the tape, Let It Go. It's wonderful, it is on your album that's about a million years old. That's Buckshot and Pelt. Yeah, yep. yeah. And um, I've known you guys for 30 plus years, yeah. 30 plus years. Since you were a freshman at, uh, in college. Yeah, that's right, that's right. And I'm thrilled you're on. You're our first ever duo, okay? We brought two other guests. We brought, I can't even touch it, I feel nervous. Don't even breathe on it. I know. This, all right, we get it on camera. This is a 65 blonde Rickenbacker semi-hollow body. It, it's stunning. It is absolutely stunning. That's the guest of honor tonight. Definitely. And then yours is not as old as it not looks, as but that's an amazing yeah. guitar. But a Gretsch, that's a solid body. Sonic, I think it's called, or something yeah. like that. Yeah. It, it's, it's, I heard it before, yeah. and it, the sound is beautiful. You've got a Fender. And I feel like the guy in that pizza show, One Bite, everyone knows the rules. Well, for this, the rules here, pick up the guitars anytime you guys want. I know you're more of a singer than a guitar player, but you Definitely. do play. But anytime you want to pick up the guitar, if the mood takes you, if we're talking about something and you want to pick up your guitar, Play it. If you guys want to ask me a question, you can do that too. Okay. All right. So, where I want to start before we even talk about you, our favorite game is what? 
uh, six degrees of Bon Jovi. Yeah, except my friend, Jay, it's six, to make it sound better, we call it six degrees of John Bon Jovi. We need enough. Uh, John, okay, in gotcha. It. Okay, so you guys were about to tell me before the show how you get there, and I said, nope, I don't want to hear it. How do you get there? So I'll start by saying, I'm always a little unclear about the exact rules, so I'm sure we're going to violate something. Okay. But we started with an old high school friend, Dave Mason, who is the cousin of uh, La Bamba, the guy from Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes, okay. Richie Rosenberg. You're up to two. La Bamba. La Bamba played uh, in, well, let's see, here's where I'm going to fall apart because Southside Johnny, one of his opening bands was John Bon Jovi. No, that works, that works. Bands, okay. That's and three. We have? That's it. So you're there in three. Right. So the other one, the alternate, yeah. alternate one was yeah, we, that we Nixon's Head played uh, GW right. Spring Fest. Okay. okay. So we were the first band and we played, but the headliner was the Ramones. Mm -hmm. okay. okay. So we rode up the elevator with the Ramones. Mm -hmm. All right. And the producer of the first two Ramones albums was John Bon Jovi's father. Oh. Uncle. That, Uncle. Yeah, that's Uncle. Uncle. Bon Jovi. That's right. even better. Yeah. So. All right, so you guys, eat, so that would be so, so three, like <laughs> roughly three. Because you remember from the Marvin Center, from the, you know, the basement up to like the second floor. That was That's a long a elevator ride. But, but think about that. So here you are, you guys are something other than young. Yep. And you could look back in your lives and say, you not only open for the Ramones, you rode the elevator yes, with them. Right. I, mean, you know, I mean, even the kids today know who the Ramones yeah. are. Oh, yeah, and there was a good six hours probably between when we played <laughs> and when the Ramones played. All right, so you didn't quite yeah. open. Uh, yeah, it wasn't, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, we opened. Yeah. So. Okay, well that works. Yeah. All right, so let's talk a little bit about Nixon's Head. When did you guys first become Nixon's Head? When did the band start? We're going way back. All right. So Andy and I have been friends since third grade. So we're okay. little, little tykes. All right. And in high school days, we were probably 15, and kind of realized that, you know, avenues like becoming sports, you know, sports stars, that was not going to happen. Okay. So, rock music, rock and roll, became kind of like the next fantasy course. So we started a band when we were 15, 16, before we could play anything. Wait, so that's, let's stop yeah. you right there. Yeah. You started a band before you could mm -hmm. play anything. So what did that look and sound like? Well, really early on, it was just like two harmonicas. Yeah. I mean, so really in like our first like duo, so this really, we've done duos before. Mm -hmm. okay. But it probably goes back to 1978. Like, okay. So eventually then Jim learned how to play guitar. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, probably like, it seemed like a long time, but maybe like six months, eight yeah. months, we got another guitarist mm -hmm. okay. from the neighborhood. And then we met our, our drummer, Seth Bear. Oh, right, Bear. yeah. So. And then when did, so you're playing, you weren't called Nixon's Head yet, right? Yeah. Kind we're of like the, the, high, zone. the high rollers yeah. to the who, right? Yeah, exactly, right. we were the zone. Right. And like, yeah. by the time we were seniors in high school, okay. like the spring like semester, we actually mm -hmm. played like a few clubs in Philadelphia. Oh, that really? Were, mm -hmm. So we played like a place called the Starlight Ballroom, which was the number one like punk club at the time. Okay. We played another place called the, the East, Side East Side Club. club. In Philly. In yeah. Philly. So now you you live Sucked. you okay all right you live in Lawrenceville now where did you where did you both grow up together I grew up in uh, Abington okay and all I grew right. up in Northeast Philadelphia okay yeah. all right yeah. but we went all to right. the same school yeah right okay so you're playing literally so in high school you guys were playing in legit clubs yeah yeah even though you sucked you were oh, still yeah. playing we clubs we weren't remotely cool not that we are to this day but. You know, even back then, it was kind of funny to be playing. Sometimes we'd play, when we played the Eastside Club, I remember, we opened for this guy, Alan Vega, who was one of these, you know, kind of underground gods of, you know, the punk scene in New York. Right. And people there were pretty tough, and we weren't, and they were just staring us down. <laughs> I just remember, like, 
Two more songs, we're off of here. Well, <laughs> you know, it reminds me, so in 1978 or 9, I was in Bloody Smegma. <laughs> oh, really? That's not, uh, not physically, yeah. I was in a band called Bloody Smegma. Floating around somewhere is an audio tape. We found our way into Uppsala State College on their radio station. And this is my favorite part because these guys were already at Rutgers. They were in college. I was in 10th grade, I think. Mm -hmm. So that we were introduced as D-Day Druxen, Animal, um, uh, Donnie Vandal, and Dave. <laughs> and Dave. And, and I, you know, when I was in 10th grade, I looked like I was in third grade. Mm -hmm. so, so I know what you're talking about. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so you're playing, like, I think that's impressive. Like, and, and my guess is you're better, you were better than you are willing to give yourself credit. You can't get into a bar. No, I mean, we, but we did something very yeah, unusual, yeah, yeah. which right. was that our focus was, was never playing live. Our focus is really probably even still to this day is recording. Right. So even when we sucked, even probably before we played like those, those live gigs, we had done uh, the, the, demos. Uh, the, the demos, demos in Fat Ray's yeah. studio. Yeah. Right. right. And so we, you know, we'd always done like a lot of recording. And where would you do the recording? At like there was a few places. There was one place that we did a demo kind of near outside of Jenkintown. Oh, so you were, so when I did songs, because we recorded all the time too, we had a fake demo yeah. that we actually put fake, we made up the name of a studio. Uh -huh. That's how we got on, on yeah. the radio. And, you know, we would do it in a bedroom, but you'd splice the cassette to make, like if you have four minutes, you'd cut the rest out. So the entire tape was four minutes long. Huh. You guys did it the right way. You, you like had the 16 track or, or the eight track. Yeah. It was eight. That's still good though. And then we went into like, you know, the studio in, in Berlin. In Berlin, New Jersey. Yeah, where we did like a few demos. demos that's yeah. impressive. I mean, yeah. for high school, that's yeah. a big deal. Yeah. And then it's like kind of what happens. So we, we, you know, we go to college. Mm -hmm. Right. And, uh, and you went to GW, I know, because right. we went to school together. That's right. Where I'm did you go? Northwestern first, okay. yeah. So okay. we were like all over the place. And whenever we got a chance, we'd find a way to get back and start playing. And now, yeah. now, so senior year, what was the name of the band? The Zone. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then when did you become Nixon's head? 84. So okay. there was like a two or three year period that we were in what we would call like the jazz odyssey, mm -hmm. you know, phase okay. where we were just kind of still playing. We were doing kind of like, you know, it was kind of like a lot of, you know, way out there kind of stuff. Okay. But at some point in 83, we got... And you uh, start college in 81, right? We started, yeah. Okay. Fall of 81. Right. Okay. So we got like one of the early uh, Yamaha four-track cassette recorders. Okay. And so... So uh, not the Fostex. Not the Fostex. No, no, right. no, no. So I don't know if the Fostex, but the Yamaha, it actually had the bay. It was like, you know... So that's a little... It's a higher end. Than it was the, a higher the, end. The Fostex yeah. was like that big. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, um, you know, we started doing a lot of demos and recording and stuff like that. And eventually we started getting... We had sent the demos to like XPN. We got mm -hmm. some airplay on WXPN. Oh, really? And then, you know, we started playing live, and that was probably the summer of 84 when we okay. played live. And I end as, up at, as I'm said. at GW in 83, so I probably saw you guys. I'm sure mm -hmm. I saw you yeah. guys. Yeah. Our first few gigs, as Nixon said, was in Philadelphia at a club called yeah. Grendel's Lair. Okay. And then J.C. Dobbs was an early gig. But we played that frat house about three times. Yeah, we played the, the Cabot Sigma house yeah. up like okay. a bunch of times. Yeah. Okay. Now, so how did you come up with the name Nixon's Head? I remember that. So I was, uh, I was at Northwestern. And I walked to an, into a friend's room, and it was a friend who had special things waiting there for me. Uh, <laughs> and we sat down and enjoyed the special things. And then I looked over in the, on his bed, and he had this book called Nixon's Head with this psychedelic collage of, uh, you know. The there was literally Nixon's a book called Nixon's literally Head. Literally called yeah. Nixon's Head. It was from like 1968, and it was somebody who, you know, a it was a political book that said, based on this person's, you know, career to date, you can't elect him, he's a crazy man. 
So anyhow, I saw the book. Where we heard that started, before. Yeah, yeah. Right. exactly. Yeah. So I just started laughing really hard. And I, I remember like calling Andy, you know, from like the hallway phone, you know, <laughs> yeah. 1983 or whatever, when right. had, you know, the cell phone. Call him from the hallway phone. It's like, I've got the band name. You know, yeah, we already Zone is was, really bad. That's, kind of, a, that's a lame name. Oh, yeah. yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah. I was in a band called Foresight once. It's yeah. Yeah. Terrific. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's how that came about. And just, it just stuck right away. So yeah. then, so you guys, if you're recording, it's originals. So, you know, um, our dear friend Elliot is watching. He's your only fan tonight. Um, maybe, no, you, know, you got, a, thumb, you got yeah. a thumbs up. So I said to Elliot, I don't know what your songwriting deal was. Do you, would you guys write together? Would one of you write the lyrics, the other one write the music? I mean, through the years, I write most of the songs. Okay. Mike Frank, who's going to be here with us tonight, writes, still writes a chunk of them. And then there was a period, so on this album, Travis Buckshot and Pelt, which is such a great name. Some of the songs are co-written with me and Mike Fingeroff, our other guitarist at the time. Right. So Mike at the time was a way better guitarist than I am to this day. Right? Okay. So even, you know, early 80s, much better guitars. Mike was really good at putting together chord progressions, but he had no idea how to construct a song. Okay. So he would come to us and say, like, he'd like come to me with a tape. He's like, Jim, I've got these, like, riffs. Right, right, and, right. You know, what can we do with them? And then, yeah, we'd sit around and I'd like, you know, well, we'll make this into a song this way. And that's, so probably about half the songs were from Definitely. that collaboration. Well, yeah. And, and this, so who did the cover art for this? Jim did the cover art. I did the front cover. Did you really? Yeah. And then the guys in the band did all took pieces and did some of the back cover. So Mike Frank did the chicken, the chicken, chicken guitar. <laughs> yeah. Right. Duck and chicken. Seth did the, the bass drum and the cymbal. Uh, and the reason we ended up doing the cover ourselves, this is kind of a classic Nixon's head thing. We were always very DIY. Okay. And the guy who did our first album cover, the one that Todd helped us put out, right. uh, did an excellent job. We loved it. Todd Yasui, we, we got to throw yeah, his name out. Yeah. Right, yeah. He was the original producer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Executive. I mean, executive he, he produced, yeah. we released yeah. our first EP on his label. Yep. <laughs> so Ichiban. The, yeah, so That's right, Ichiban Records. That's yeah. right. Yeah, Barry, who's to this day a professional graphic artist, Barry, this guy Barry designed the first album cover. He was going to do the second one, and time kept kept ticking, you know, like, I'll get yeah. to it next week, I'm busy, right. we'll get to it next week. And then, so finally, we just said, like, F it, we can't wait any longer. Yeah. So we just bought paint and some It, it looks really good. Canvas, thanks. So this yeah. came out of my record collection for tonight, um, and I just looked at it right now, and I don't know why, but it's in my handwriting from 30-some-odd years ago. Yeah. What does it say? Chick. Chick. <laughs> I have no idea why. But I just noticed that while we were on the air, as I was picking it up, I'm huh. like, I don't know why, but that's my hand. Yeah, exactly. Frank, right? I don't know. Yeah. Well, because that's, yeah. that's on Mike's listed. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't yeah. know. So don't the, know. Name, the name is actually, I think I came up with the yeah. name. I and love that it. Is I don't actually, know what it means, but I love it. it uh, <laughs> essentially, I, I remember where we were. We were like prepping for when we played live on XPN. Wow. Yeah. And uh, it was essentially like, like an 1890 sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Oh, I get it. Right, right, Perhaps right. Perhaps and Pelt. So. It, it's such a catchy name, even <laughs> yeah, if you don't. It's kind of like a lawyer kind of sounding to that's it. That's true. Too, so yeah, well, that's great. And the cover certainly amplifies. The, the cover is fantastic. And I'm if you take put out the insert. Oh, we, oh really let me see. Insert. Let's see. Yeah, oh, look at like, this! I forgot about free, this. Like, uh, you know, yeah. So here, let's see if we can get this on camera. All right, we got a close-up coming in. There we go. It was fun. It's just it's got that whole Victorian era vibe about it. We were that, very psyched about that, actually. Now it's real. It's creative, and it's on sort of the fake. fake the funny, I was going to say fake aged yeah. paper. 
Yeah. It's fucking it's, old. Yeah, no, it's old. No, I mean, actually, it's literally so, old. Yeah. Like, this is 30 plus years old because yeah. that's all the album well, we are, So we actually got that. The printer who did that mm -hmm. yeah. is the uh, accordion in the Ben Vaughn Quintet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh that's really? Box, yeah. Who for a while yeah, uh, a owned a printing company. Business and, and you know, I'm I'm thinking about it. what a lost art. Like, like right, you know, even if you go all the way up to the the disc age, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you you get your crappy disc, and you'd have a you'd sort of like yeah, there's a picture there, whatever, and you and it's all about the music. But here, there was such ritual mm -hmm. about about getting an album. You'd, you'd get the album. If you got a double album, you'd open it up. Sometimes, you know. Quadrophenia has a whole book in it. Mm -hmm. you remember that black and right, white yeah. book? And in this one, you guys, you have the insert here, and even on the on the disc itself. <laughs> I don't know what I don't know what I'm about to show, but but just all right, but let's that's see. all Jim's handwriting. My so. bad handwriting. That's yeah, great. It, it's very cool though, and you've got yeah. the whole Victorian earth. What is he doing? Is he ringing a bell? Ringing a bell. Yeah. All right, let's flip it over. And what's on this So side? we originated steampunk, I think. Yeah. Even more so than, uh, what yeah. was it, Brazil? Was that right. considered the first steampunk? But it, it, it's just, you know, like, like there's ritual to it. And I noticed you have, unless this might have legitimately aged, or did, was it some... Yeah, it's legitimate. Okay, because yeah. it's a little yellow, the yeah. paper. But this is something that, you know, the kids today, they don't see anymore. And, you know, you would judge your album. Like this one, you could say I didn't play it much, I hate to yeah. admit. Yeah. Oh, but, you know, but it, it's, it's crisp. You know, this it, is your the, the the copy that you save for posterity. You have your second copy, yes, which that's is right. the uh, well. This is going on Sotheby's later after our exactly. show. But um, but is that was that when uh, you and Seth actually had to go up to Scranton and pick it up? It was Seth and Mike went to Scranton. It was the night of the day uh, of a record release show. Right. So we you know booked the record release show, thinking we had plenty. Uh, of time. I want to stop you right there. Yeah, yeah. You guys had a record release show. Like, yeah. how cool is that? Yeah. You know. Well, again, that's like the thing. We always made it up. And then, like, we would always just kind of have a target. Right. Hit the target. Okay. And then we made it. Like, then we did what we wanted to do. Like, we, we kind of realized early on, if we wait around, and probably for good reason, if we right. wait around, nobody's going to care. Right. So if we just say, like, we're going to do a record release show, and we organized it, it was a nice way of, like, hitting targets, yeah, mm -hmm. putting records I think it's great stuff. because, like, I watched the path of a lot of folks like, you know, for me, I was in cover bands and then sort of fizzled out after law school. And mm. Now I'm doing this for fun. But you guys were so ambitious and successful in your ambition that I think most people who were sort of destined to not be full-time musicians, which neither of you became, mm -hmm. and I don't think you aspired to, or maybe, let me, let me hear. Oh, I would have loved it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think... So then maybe that's the difference. Yeah. You know, because I was perfectly content to be in my part-time band when I was in the right. band with Todd. We had maybe four originals and the rest were covers, and it's not as big a commitment as you guys said, and maybe that's the difference. Yeah. You know? But what we wanted to be was not so much go on tour, and it was, it was all about making like great records. Well, I At think least, it was, I mean, not to get too pretentious, but it's about the art, yeah, right? For I us, mean, it was. I yeah, mean, the I, pop art, yeah. right? I mean, you yeah. know, if there had been a way like this band, the Beatles, right. to have done some records, some tours, and then done nothing but recording, that would have been ideal. Right, because they, they didn't about, like touring. No, right. Yeah. I used to think about John Fogarty, you know, Creedence Clearwater had like this three-year run of right. amazing activity, and then John Fogarty disappeared for 20 years. That would right. have been perfect. Right. But, so, that, but they sense, had like like 10 yeah. years of nothing as like what, like the Gollywogs right, or something right. like that, where they like, yeah. you know, played every yeah. bar in, you know, Sausalito, wherever yeah. they were from. So like minus the three years of fantastic success, we have kind of achieved oh, yeah. that, you know, we've gotten to have a normal life. Yeah. <laughs> now, how many albums overall did you guys put out? 
So we have two EPs. Uh -huh. And we it, have, so this is an EP. This is not yeah, a. It's like seven songs. Right. Yeah. So EPs are what? They're like twenty minutes long. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know, our thought at the time, and this probably was, was that we didn't want to give away all of our really good songs. <laughs> that because this was self-released. I remember we had those kind of discussions, yeah, yeah. Right. like because we were gonna, this was going to get assigned. You know. So, you, or, so you, then that's interesting. So, and look, the quality of the songs, which again, like I'm still on a high from listening to those two songs. I mm -hmm. think the first one is just great. The second one's beautiful, great. Um, Thank you. But it, I, I mean it, they're just special. And, and you can feel the energy in the room. They're, they're really cool. Um, but so you guys had that ambition. And, and not that you would be crestfallen if it didn't happen, but at least it was that sort of hope that was floating around. Yeah, or or mean, were you a little crestfallen? Well, I think, we were, I think we were so certain that when it didn't happen like immediately, and we've had to discuss about this, yeah. that you know, certain tensions came in the band. And probably about like a year after that, I had kind of left the band for a while. Oh, really? And that was a, you know, the, the typical kind of thing, talk about like real lives kind of thing, was that Jim, Mike, and Seth were in, had the ability to kind of quit their jobs and try to like really make it. Those shitty jobs. So. Yeah, I mean, I was working for my family. Yeah. I was in yeah. like a... You got married pretty young, right? That wasn't a matter of that. I, it was a family business. It was, it was, yeah. I was working for a family business. Oh, okay. So, so yeah, band tension, I mean... Which then went out of business a year yeah. later, so I should have just, you know, gone, gone with you yeah. guys. But it's funny, at any level there's band tension. I remember fighting in... All the bands I was with where you'd have the asshole lead guitarist mm -hmm. who wanted more volume. We'd fight over things as simple as volume. Mm -hmm. You know, you'd have fights over whose song would get played, things like that. But what did you guys fight about? Getting the arrangements right yeah. to this day is still a giant, you know, and it's a necessary point of arguments that we have. Yes. Right. So... You're not fighting saying, you're a jerk, you're a jerk. You're trying to oh, get to no. the same place. You're trying to get to that same place. Right. Like... So like one of, one of the roles that I have, and it's kind of changed over the oh, years, right. is that I did, you know, and the tries and natural things. So Jim was writing all the songs, like especially yeah. early on. And I was like, I was doing a lot of the arrangements. So I, made, I mean, to this day, you still do a ton of arrangements. Yeah, yeah but right. it's, so let's talk about arrangement, yeah. because what do you mean by that? I mean, uh, a lot of it was working with the rhythm section. Okay. So I was working with Seth and, and Mike Frank as, as, as bass. And a lot of times it was just kind of translating what Jim had in mind when he wrote the songs right. into something that like Seth could do and, and Mike could do. And plus I had my own like thoughts. Right. So. And then, so let's talk, who are the other, so you got Mike Frank. Mm -hmm. Right. He plays... Now he's on guitar. Yeah, oh, no, you, you just confused he's on me. He's, he's, he's on guitar now. And bass, yeah, yeah. So yeah you confused like me. the swing man through the years. Yeah, he he's the utility player. Yeah, so uh -huh. the original yeah. lineup of Nixon's Head was me, Andy, Seth, Mike Fingeroff. Yeah, I remember that. So name. the four of us go back to high school days. A guy named Steve Sagan, who was in like the rival high school band. We didn't even like Steve until after high school. Okay. Yeah. Steve joined us as the original bass player. And then we had this weird period. You know, Andy and Mike became friends at GW. And on any given gig, either Mike Fingeroff or Steve Sagan couldn't make it for some reason. So Mike was like John Havlicek. He was the sixth man. He could yeah. like fill in. Mm -hmm. And one gig he'd play guitar, one gig he'd play bass. And then eventually right. Sagan moved away and, and Mike became a full-time bassist right. for years. And to this day, he'll still shift back and forth yeah, he depending does. on <laughs> which, you know, which and, guy and, who's not and, the long-lost Mike Fingeroff so he, isn't he, with us. Here's another cool yeah. thing. So the fact that you could say to this day, I mean, 35, 36 years yeah. is, I mean, I, I, you know, people, you know, I was listening to Volume on the way over here, you know, that serious station. Yeah. Right. And they were talking about like, 
you know, uh, the Stones are still around. The Who is sort of still around. They talk about Nixon's head being still around, <laughs> you know. Um, oh, yeah, Mark Goodman rem remembers yeah, us. He does. Philly Fro days. Yeah. I actually called the show uh, about two months ago because they wanted, and I just said, YYZ or Frankenstein. Yeah. And that's it. And I just wanted, and they didn't understand the concept. And then Mark Goodman got it, mm -hmm. and then they said, that's kind of silly. But um, uh, you were reaching for your guitar before I, 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 I sensed it. Well, I was just thinking about when you were talking about the arrangement thing. Yeah. So yeah. this is a long, a long time beef. I think you know about this. You, you guys fought a little it. bit. I watched so it. We were joking a little bit about Let It Go. Yeah. So oh, it was more than joking. I can't. There was a little tension well, that's, in the room. Yeah, that's one of the songs where I probably, I had so much you arrangement know, ideas that I get a co-writing co yeah. credit yeah. on it. Yeah, right, right. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. <I> so. <laughs> but when I wrote it, the idea was, now, the idea is funny. I knew that I was, from the start, ripping off some Beatles song. I couldn't really wait. place it. It's Wait. No. What You're Doing. Is that, oh, yeah, What You're Doing. Is it? Or is it wait. wait. Yeah, I said What You Do. Oh, Tell Me What You See. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So me, but anyhow, when I wrote the song, the idea was, I really didn't like R.E.M., and I no. didn't like them. I didn't mind their music, but you know, at the time it was during that period when Michael Stipe obscured all his lyrics, and I just felt like he was hiding. Okay. And it bugged me that he always kind of hid in the in you know and mumbled his way through. So the song, the idea was to write this song about, you know, kind of just letting go of. So you were actually thinking about Michael Stipe. I was, yeah. See, I, I was. I'm listening to this song, and I'm think I'm drawing all these really broad generalizations yeah. about life and not being uptight. Meanwhile, I'm listening to a song about Michael Stipe. <laughs> so when I the yeah. original idea that when I wrote it, and in part to obscure the the kind of unintentional Beatles lift, was to do it more like a Dylan song. Remember, I wanted to kind of be just racing forward, like if you don't know right, where yeah. you are. Right. Right. All right, so I'm going to cut you off again. Yeah. He's right and you're wrong. Exactly, yeah. Because <laughs> as I was listening to you guys, I, was, you know, I only play rhythm, yeah. I can't play lead, and I haven't tried. And I like that, that sort of slow, show us with it. Yeah, That's yeah. Sort of the, the, the sort of the better or the newer yeah. whatever way to do it. There was something about the way you did the rhythm, and it was sort of intentionally delayed. And there's a pause in there. Yeah. And, yeah, it's the upstroke. Yeah, so Andy yeah. did a cool thing then. He took... With the old four track we had, you got. It takes you its had time. Me play the guitar kind of in the rhythm that you thought it should be in. Right. And then he did a recording of the vocals with this like four part harmony or something. I don't think so. Like, yeah, you made the demo with all the ahs. I think I might have done it, but I made sure that I recorded it when you guys were out for dinner. Right, right. It was like, it was. Because I wouldn't have gone. No, 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 no. So it's like harmonies. you're actually, of all things, yeah. I'm thinking about our SNL skit with Cowbell. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Because as I'm, I love, I, that's the song I asked you guys to do. I'm looking at the back of the album and I know all your songs yeah. and I asked you to do that. Um, but to me, what really makes that song is that sort of, that take your time, yeah. sort of pause a little. That's to me, that and, and the harmony, not the yeah. harmony, but the, the melody, the melody. Yeah. But those two things, to, for me anyway, are what make the song. It's that delay. It yeah. makes, because it's only a three, four, five chord song. Right. I mean, it, you're not doing anything complicated on there. But to me, what separates it is the way you were doing that rhythm. It's just yeah. this sort of delay. And I, I, yeah. it, it really, it's special. Yeah, yeah, so that was Andy's stuff. He, you know, he got Seth to do that kind of ticket to ride sort of beat that's on the record. Mm -hmm. Right. You, I think you even kind of dictated part of Mike's bass part. With Pretty, yeah, I think in that song I was, but, yeah. you know, but it's evolved over time. Right. And so, you know, the, it's, part of it is because it's not as important as it was. 
Right. In terms of, because, you know, it's like part of what tempers always tempted you know, Nixon's head is the friendship aspect mm -hmm. of it. Right. And so we're never going to fight to like, it's all about, it's yeah. either when we fight, it's kind of either just competitive bullshit, you know, just, right. you know, as friends do. Yeah. yeah you, you know, know like, you guys were like two brothers, yeah. you know, so, yeah. uh, which I think spurs us both on in, yeah. in, in oh, a it's positive good. way. So. Because you're both striving to make the music as good as you can make it. You know, yeah. I mean, so again, it's like we said before, it's, you, you're both striving toward the same ends, yeah. just different potential ways to get there. Yeah. But, you know, with, I mean, the, uh, just with Mike and Mike Frank and, and Seth Bayer, who've been yeah. playing with us. And Seth has been playing with us, you know, since the beginning. Mm -hmm. right. That's also like the special aspect of it is because we're doing it with people who we've been doing it with for, for so long and just through all of stages of life. Right. You know, right. from when our kids were young, when we were single, when we got married to you know kids. No, to it's special, and, and you have a following. I mean, I so the, the last two times I've seen you, what was the bar in Fishtown you guys played in, about five years ago? Was three, that, four, five years oh, ago. Yeah, that was uh, Kung Fu Necktie. Kung right? Fu Necktie. Kung, yeah. Which is a great venue. Yeah. And I hadn't seen you in, I don't know, yeah. 20, years, 20 years, you know, something yeah. like that. Um, ran into Elliot there. Um, but you guys filled the bar. I mean, that, like, and another observation I had, I like smaller bands, like when you get like the, the trios that, that sounds big. Mm -hmm. The two of you, with you not playing an instrument other than your voice, you filled this room. And I think it's because you sing with his guitar playing. You're not singing opposite it. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not singing a melody around it. You're actually singing with the guitar. But you guys, by, by being in sync like that, you guys were filling this room with just guitar and vocal, like in a way that is almost disproportionate to what one vocal and one guitar should do. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, thank you. It was very, you're welcome. You're it was suggesting very cool. that we just ditch the others. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is it. Well, you know, I, I heard own Mach too. That's right. Well, I, I heard a rumor that uh, Andy has a solo project. Oh, going. definitely. I, yeah. you know, I was going to wait till you know after yeah. this, but yeah. 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 Band fighting thoughts inside my head. Been doing it for so long, you know, as great friends, it's like a game of rock paper scissors. Now we can just okay. sometimes you just whoever makes that opening move, you know what the next three moves right. in the fight are going to be, and we can just kind of say like, all right, let's wrap this now, up and get back. To are all the guess. fights about just? what the product will sound like, or are there ever fights like, I don't want to play there again? You know, I'm tired of that venue. Anything like when that? When we were younger, we had some, some fights like that. Yeah, I mean, we were, you know, I think now it's kind of like, I think, you know, we have discussions of how much we want to play live. Yeah. Right. You know, so before the Collingswood gig, it, it, it had been a couple years since we had played it, right. as Nixon said, mm -hmm. as opposed to Mag 7, which is our Clash offshoot band. Right. So. Well, which so are you guys together in that band? Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty it's much everyone in Nixon's, Nixon's head. head people, yeah. so, we, so it's the same people. Yeah, same yeah. people. So, I mean, when we What's started the, name again? the, the Magnificent Seven. You did a Michael Stipe on that yeah. one. You, yeah, kinda, yeah. you, you didn't say the name. What's it, the name? It, well, isn't it called the Mag Seven? Full name's Magnificent Seven. I get it, it's Magnificent yeah, Seven. Spelled out. But yeah, when we, when we email each other, text each other, yeah. each other it's Mag and the number. And then seven. what is Mag Seven? It's a Clash cover, Clash tribute band. Yeah. Really? Which is something that we started talking about probably in the late 80s and okay. actually ken sills another mm -hmm. person that we right. went to college yeah, will was going to be the original yeah. basis for it and it's something that uh we just kind of revived and essentially what we did is like we'll do like 15 clash songs mm -hmm. yeah do you throw any originals in there is it no it's no, very no, no, pure no. It's all clash when we do that yeah and like we took it really yeah. seriously did you really yeah the oh, first yeah. time we did it a couple years ago we kind of like did some, it was almost like method acting. I remember like for me, I put together like a mix of 50 songs I envisioned they were listening to in 1976. And that's all I listened to for about three months. And one day Seth and I went 
to South Street in Philadelphia, and Seth called me up someday. He's like, Jim, let's go to South Street like when we were 16 and go, you know, thrift shops. And it was just the silliest yeah. thing. But it was really so fun. So you were like pulling a Brando, you were like yeah, in character. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, we would try to find like isolated tracks, and we have lots yeah. of discussions about how The Clash played the songs. And we did it, we did it once at, um, uh, Oh, I can't think of blanking on the name of the uh, somewhere club. in South Philly, Boot and Saddle, uh -huh. which is a South great Philly, club yeah. right. in South Philly, and you know we got like sold out essentially. Did you really? And, and we did it with uh, a band called the Lower Wolves, which is an REM, an cover, REM band. cover band. Yeah, and they were and, actually good. I like yeah. them better than REM. Now what cracks me up is that being someone who was never in an uh, well, Bloody Smegma was an yeah, original yeah. band, but they don't really count. Um, but to be in a purely original band, to then pivot and be in a cover band, it. I don't know, like what, what inspired you guys to do that? Because to me, like people who want to do their own stuff yeah. find covers antithetical to yeah. what they are. Are you just doing it for fun? They gave us so much hope and inspiration when the we band. were trying to figure yeah. out yeah. The, the band, The Clash, right? Because, you know, there was stuff that we grew up on, you know, being Beatles fans. I remember, right. you know, at 16, 17, when I could barely play, Going through right. the Beatles book, and eventually you're always going to get to like a C ninth or an augmented chord. Right. And you know, I'm 16, I can barely do a, a bar <laughs> straight chord. bar chord, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. So then the Clash come along, and it's like every song was just straight, you know, yeah, bar chords. Yeah, they're very playable. Yeah. yeah. All major, very few minor yeah. chords. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. So but they were nicely produced, though. Somehow, just like the Sex Pistols, they, yeah. they have a clean and crisp sound, yeah. even if you're not getting amazing musicianship. Yeah. Out of it. I mean, and we rip off from The Clash mm -hmm. so often. So it's In really your original not, stuff, you mean? Oh, yeah. yeah. They okay. are like a, like a bedrock uh -huh. like right. of, right. Uh, of us. And we've ripped them off, like, yeah, numerous times. Yeah, right. like if, you, if there's like the dictionary of Nixon's head and you went into the, uh, the derivation of our songs, you know, right. the, in, in like the parentheses, you'd, you'd see like, old clash or something, <laughs> right, something right. You know, from the old clash right yeah we, we do we get a lot out of them even when we were in high school mm -hmm. one of the demo tapes that we did uh we did covers we did two clash covers oh really and so we're senior in high school and this is like you know event that was great a lot of fun for us so we and it's the perfect time because that's when the clash really broke onto the scene yeah. late 70s yeah. early yeah. 80s so we um uh jim and i and and duncan mm -hmm. uh an early member uh -huh. Uh, went to the, we took the demo, went to like, I don't know, five or six like record companies back when they were in New York. Yeah, we like walked around New York City with a box of, of cassette tapes. Did you really? Oh yeah. And just cold called, went to like, you know, go to these mammoth buildings, right. get up on the elevator and walk into the lobby of... Like how whatever. stupid were we? Yeah, yeah but right, you're you not know? because that's how it worked back yeah. then. Yeah. Because it, it could have just as easily been you sitting you know, on a network right now talking about how you became famous. Right. You know, we walked around with cassettes and we met the right person at the right time and they yeah. signed, like it but could we have been that. Stiff Records uh -huh. and like we actually, we gave them the cassette uh -huh. and didn't they like play it while we were in the hall yeah, and we they were... were like, we were in the hallway like with our ears up against the, the door. Yeah, and this is Stiff Records which was, you know, the, the they, famous punk yeah. label that, okay. you know, Elvis Costello yeah. and Nick Lowe were, yeah. right, right. were involved with, so... Well, uh, you guys, you guys are a little Nick Lowish, your band, yeah. I think. Uh, that's also probably yeah, by another hero. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, like we wanted him to produce us, mm -hmm. and that was that was like part and of. I'm laughing, but I shouldn't because your stuff's good. I'm laughing because as we sit here now, and, yeah. and yeah. It's, yeah. it sounds foolish now, yeah. but right. we wanted either him or uh, uh, Roger Bacari, who, who is his engineer. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. So. Yeah, I, I think I have two Nick Lowe albums. Yeah. I think yeah. he's wonderful. He, Immaculate Pop is yeah. what we used to yeah. call him. You know. 
Yeah, we were just ridiculously sure of ourselves. That's good, though. Yeah, we're, we're having no outwardly self-confidence. Yeah, looking yeah. back on it, it's kind of the right way to be, because yeah. what have you got to lose? Right. Yeah. And, and look at you now. You've had full lives and yeah. music. And this is fun. It, the theme of the show is, is guitar players you might not have heard of. Right. And you guys have filled your lives with yeah. music, you know, families, and mm -hmm. you know, day jobs, you know, and you still have music as prominent. Yeah. And, and the other thing I like about Nixon's Head is that it, it's an extended family. You know, we went down, we saw you in Collingswood. So it's one scene to see you in Fishtown because it, it's gonna be a lot of your friends and extended family. And, and by family, I don't mean blood relatives, yeah, yeah. but right. the Nixon's Head family. But then there'll be a lot of people just having fun in Philly that time. But then we go to see you in Collingswood and it's your family, it's like a family reunion. Yeah, that was a great place to play yeah. actually. It was very cool, the sound was yeah. great, the, the crowd was very mm -hmm. supportive, which you'd expect, yeah. but it was in a record store, yeah. like a, a record slash guitar shop. Yeah. yeah. So I just sat there salivating over every guitar. Yeah. They had some cool guitars in there. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's look at your guitar, I want you sure. to show us your guitar. So this, tell us what it is, when you got it. So it's a Gretsch, and I was saying to you earlier, Dave, I'm like the worst, um, gearhead in the world, but right. I think it's called a Duosonic. Okay. And I got it about five, six years ago. Okay. Um, I always liked the band X. And Wait, really, it tells us what yeah. it is. What does it say there? Oh, yeah. Electromatic. Electro See, you are not a gear guy, apparently. <laughs> I'm illiterate as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so um, <laughs> I, I'm a big fan of X and Billy Zoom, who is their guitarist. I've, I've heard of neither. Yeah. So X was this amazing, I, I'm typically not a fan of like LA punk from the early 80s, the hardcore right. stuff, but X was this right. kind of punk rock, rockabilly type yeah. of band. Right. And so Andy and I saw them early on in this tiny little uh. place, and it was just a mind-blowing show. You know, they're playing on a stage like this size, you know, right. eight inches above <clears throat> everybody else. Uh, and Billy Zoom was this older guy who had like this bleach blonde pompadour, and he'd play the whole time with a big shit-eating Just like stands there and just... just yeah. stands there with his legs far apart and he's just... Right? Like the most amazing like, Chuck Berry yeah, inspired. Chuck Berry kind of guitar for like an hour, you know. So he was a good set. guitar player too. Oh, awesome. Like player. one of the best. So he had like a silver one of these. Right. So a couple of years, whenever it was five, six years ago, one day I was in a music store and I saw this one. I was like, it's that's beautiful. the closest I'm going to get to his and I tried it. And it do you use the whammy bar place. at all? I don't. You know, yeah. it's funny. I, I've never been able to coordinate Right. Using a whammy bar and making any any use of it. Which is funny because your other main guitar was a Strat, yeah. which also had the uh, bar. And it's funny because I even have opinions on whammy bars. Like I don't like guitars that have the little thin whammy bars. Right, right. Like I like that. So you this have opinions on something you don't use. Yeah, I have an opinion on something I don't. <laughs> Jim has lots use. of opinions yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like it. it looks and then you good. got so those are really narrow for humbuckers. They're almost as narrow as single coil. And then Jim's going to say, what is Dave talking about? <laughs> no, I kind of know what you're talking about there. Yeah, yeah. but I'm looking like, look how usually a humbucker yeah. is much, it's usually as wide as the whole base there. Right. And, and that's almost as narrow as a single uh, coil. Just, yeah. Yeah. And, so, and I'm looking at the apparatus, even like, see, you got the bridge. Uh -huh. So it goes under that. It, it's, it's like very. It's a bitch to, to restring. I bet. Yeah. I is bet. that a Bigsby bar? It's a Bigsby style bar. I think a Bigsby style, right? I don't think yeah. it's an it doesn't, does it say, say what it is? Oh, it actually is. It is a Bigsby. How, How do you know, know what Bigsby you know. is? You know, I, I'm not a, I know enough about guitars, I yeah. guess. Yeah. But we, we played that before, and I, I put it through this amp. Uh, way back there, we've got that gorgeous Fender little tube amp you have, and it sounds beautiful. Like, it's got a really crisp sound, and yeah. it, it's warm tone. 
Yeah, so this and the other guitar I use <clears throat> most commonly these days is a guitar I got a couple years ago in England. It's a Gordon Smith guitar. I haven't heard of that. I know, I had never heard of it. So I, a couple years ago, I, I work for a company that's uh, based in England. Okay. And so I go over there a lot. So a couple years ago, I was feeling like, I really like this company. We got bought by this English company and I like, I like this country. Yeah. You know, I'm a bit of an Anglophile anyhow musically and I saved money and I said, I want to buy some odd English guitar that that's some a great English idea. kids sweat on years ago, right? So right, I'm in right. this shop and I see on the wall, it's this guitar, it looks like a, um, like a Les Paul Jr. Okay. And it's hanging on the wall, it says like uh, Manchester, it's, it's where the, the home office is, Manchester right. area. Manchester's Les Paul or something like that. So I say to the clerk. Oh, that, in other words, that's their version of a like Les Paul. It's their version of the Les Paul. So I say to the clerk, what is this guitar? What do you and say, it's Gordon Smith? Gordon Smith. Okay. And he tells me about it, he said, yeah, it's a Manchester area uh, guitar maker. They do everything to order. So people right. just go on and you know order things custom. So I'm playing and you know, you know how to, as soon as you pick up a guitar, you know, you, like, you know where you're This is perfect, right? Yeah. It just feels great. Yeah. And I'm like playing it and I keep asking the guy, like, what, you know, tell me about this guitar. I've never heard of it. And he said, oh, in the 70s, the punks used to like this because it was cheap but sturdy. And as right. soon as he said that, it was like Pete Shelley from the Buzzcocks. When we were kids, we'd look at pictures of the Buzzcocks and right. Pete Shelley was always playing this yeah. weird, kind of slightly pointy guitar. We didn't know what it was. And it turns out it was that make. So it just, it was, as soon as he said that, it was like, sold. That's yeah. funny. <laughs> I bought a guitar off of, um, not eBay, what's the other? Amazon, a used yeah. guitar on Amazon from somebody. I don't know how I got it. But it was an old Tisco. Do you know Tisco? Yeah, yeah. They're a I Japanese company yeah. that they tried to emulate the surf yeah. right. movement. And the ad said, so solid, you can use the guitar to hammer in a fence post in winter. Oh, God. <laughs> thought, That's great. How do I not get it? And it was, it was like a 66 yeah. for 100 bucks or 120 yeah. bucks. It wasn't great, but it was that solid yeah. And, yeah. It, and it functioned, mm -hmm. you know. And then I'm going to pull this. I'm, a, yeah. I'm sure. afraid to touch no, it. No, you go ahead. This, this is stunning. I've always wanted also to Also an Anglophile. Yeah, yeah, look at this. This guitar is special. Where is it? Right, so this is a 1965, uh, the bass is Rickenbacker 330, right. uh, but what makes it special is that there were a handful that were sent over to England. Right. And they all have the... Yeah, it's got uh, the, the F-hole. The F-hole. Yeah. And they were uh, called Ross Morris, Rose Morris. Oh, it's, oh, what a f nice neck. And so it had a different model number. So. In England, this would be a Rose Morris 1997, so instead of a Rickenbacker 330. So it's it's beautiful, but you never see them blonde. No, and this is the same deal. You've got these these humbuckers, mm -hmm. but they're very narrow. So this has really the yeah the bridge is nice, and look look how old that is. Yeah. Like, but it's in really nice shape. The other thing I noticed when you brought it in is ba you've got I guess it's a rosewood fretboard. Mm -hmm but you don't see them this shiny. So I had asked you if you shine it up and you said no, yeah. but usually rosewood right. is so a more of a matte, right you know, like a flat yeah, finish, yeah. but this has this nice sheen. And it's got a it. lot of, you know, Jim played it, Mike Fingeroff played it a mm -hmm. lot. And so uh, it's not no. like we took extra special care of it or anything yeah. like that. No, but, and the pick guard, you got this yeah. weird raised thing here, right. which yeah. is really cool. It, it's just a stunning guitar. And it, it, it's balanced nicely, but it's, it's a really skinny neck, too. Yeah, I bought it kind of as a graduation present for myself when I graduated college. Right. But a lot of it was so that uh, the band could have it. 
And so oh, we, could, we could utilize it for the band. And then one of the first things I look at that pisses me off about old guitars is you, you don't have the sealed machine heads. Mm. So you probably always have issues going out of tune. But the old, like my old Fender was like that too. Like beautiful guitars have that because mm -hmm. they didn't start making these until like, oh, wow. well, like the late 80s yeah. or something. But I always look for that. But if you want an authentic guitar, you're going to get the non-sealed, you know, it's yeah. just, you don't have a choice. But this is stunning. But I've, I've never seen an old Rick that's blonde like that. That's really no. cool. I mean, it makes it very special, but yeah. as we were talking about earlier, not as valuable as you would think. I would have thought more because it's, because it's different. Yeah, you know? it could be. And you know, maybe 10 years from now, it'll be a... You know, oh, yeah. Work. But you'll never get rid of it. I don't think it'll so. It'll go in your will, probably. No. Yeah. yeah. Now, what, did you, what kind of guitars did you start with? Well, so the first one was, Andy knows it, called... Old reliable. Old reliable. So I, like okay. When I was in third grade, I first wanted to play guitar. Right. So I got this plywood acoustic guitar. Plywood, literally. Yeah, it was literally plywood. Yeah. It was terrible. You know, the action was about you know mm -hmm. that high off. Yeah. And I played for like a year or two, and then put it aside. And then you know, when I'm like 15, pick it up again. Right. And then I got like a cheap, you know, whatever, like a Sears guitar, you know, circa 1978 or something. Right. So and you bought then, it new at Sears? Yeah, I bought a new one. Okay. And yeah, so it wasn't, you know, one of those silver tones. Which now you're talking electric or acoustic at this point? Electric. So that was okay. my first electric. Right. But then, so at that time, 78 is when the band movie, The Last Waltz, came out. Right. And I think I saw The Last Waltz, you know, six times in the first okay. couple of weeks it was out. And Robbie Robertson was playing, I think it, it was like a gold top. I think he, he painted it gold strat. Okay. So, of course, you know, that's what I wanted. I wanted right. a gold Strat, and I wanted to wear a velvet jacket and a With scarf, a you know, and be really cool. And the best I could do was I found this blonde Strat, like a so you did. You got a real Strat, a though. A real Strat, like a 77, So that's pre-CBS if it's a... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's nice. So that's what right. I played for years with Nixon's head. I mean, like, forever. Yeah, forever. So did you have a, uh, um, a maple or a rosewood? For your fretboard. Uh, maple for the neck. That's what yeah. I like on the strap. Yeah. Much better. It's yes. faster. Yeah. yeah. You bought that at Zaps, right? At Zaps, yeah. Where's Zaps? Old Zaps was old, legendary Philadelphia music store. Okay. Was in the area close. called Olney, uh, a neighborhood called Olney. Right. Uh, yeah, so it was just this big old music store. You know, they had tons of stuff. I remember, too, the day I bought it, Let's. I'm going to make up the price. Let's say $180. Right. So I had like $181 saved. You know, I'm a kid, and we don't yeah, have yeah. ATM cards back then. So I'm there, and I see the Strat, and then I also saw right next to it this old 1950s Dan Electro with a little, like, lipstick pickup. Oh, my God. And it was, like, the thing that, like, Jimmy Page would have played early yeah. on. Like, Dan Electro, you see them all, they're... Yeah. Yeah. Sounded yeah. great. Yeah. But, you know, I'm a kid, and I'm thinking, well, I saved all this money. I should buy the newer guitar. No, you made the right choice. Yeah. Because the Dan Electro wouldn't have been versatile enough you for you. You know how much the Dan Electro was? Oh, no, I don't want to know. $50. Oh, my God. And, you know, if I had just been... I could have gone back and probably begged my mom to loan right. me fifty dollars. Yeah, that's you that. Know, I, I we had two guitars. Episode one of this show, I talked to. That. Yeah, I talked about my biggest guitar. Oh, your mom that. would not have let you have two guitars. No, probably not. I don't know. So Jimmy, yeah. did you really need two guitars? <laughs> <laughs> I, I couldn't remember the name of my biggest <laughs> guitar regret, but I've since we put a little graphic on it. A yeah. Fender Coronado. Mm -hmm. You know that model? It was it was sort of like that. It yeah. was it was it had a floating bridge. That's it was sunburst. Oh, it was stunning. I got it for 50, sold it for 100 or 80 or something. Yeah. It, was, it was ridiculous. Yeah. And um, 
that's a guitar, I wish I still had it. But I wasn't capable of keeping it in tune. Mm -hmm. I mean, a floating bridge is okay. really hard. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, it just, it, it kept moving all over the place, but it was, it was literally mint. It was yeah. like a 60 whatever. Yeah. And I, I bought it in the 80s, so it was already old. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I felt guilty because I remember, I told the story on the first show, that when the guy went to buy it off me used, uh, ultimately I felt guilty because I had spent maybe $20, $30, $40 on it, so I didn't want to make much of a profit. Uh -huh. you know? But that's my biggest guitar regret. So I just got to sign. You know, we talked before about how long the show will be. It's 45 minutes already. Wow. wow. Right. Yeah. And we're going to add in your song. So. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah, don't. If you don't know where you are, you'll never know.
try and trust your sight. Let it go. I'm thrilled we got you on. Um, Can we tell our worst gig story? <laughs> oh yeah, tell you. Well, here, look. This is on the list. Hold okay, on. That's this is the list that my our friend Todd sent us. He wants yeah. worst gig ever. So that comes right from okay. Todd. All right. So um, we were kind of at like our peak, which is probably like 87, 88 was when we were getting you know a lot of gigs. We were playing a lot of tours. And yeah, stuff. Right. So wait, tours? Yeah. So yeah. we like uh, we actually did a real tour opening for the Dead Milkmen. So, oh, yeah, yeah. So the Dead Milkman, we played with them a lot when we were growing up. And so it was actually an international tour because we also played Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> so it was our world tour. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we would do like a few nights here and there, either up right. in Boston or, you know, playing different colleges and, 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 and stuff like that. So our worst gig was we played this club in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Oh, yeah, yeah. The Dirt Club. Okay. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, this is like, you know, 87, 88. And Elizabeth, you know, is not now is not a great city so imagine it back back then right what year is this again uh probably 87 88 okay all right and uh we get there it's crowded but it's definitely like a rock club like a hard rock club in elizabeth in elizabeth yeah. okay yeah, it wasn't our scene definitely right. not yeah right and um, so like uh, so you're thinking like when you say rock you mean more like a heavy metalish, hard oh, yeah, like rock, leather. classic yeah. rock kind of yeah. Crap, yeah. right yeah, which yeah, is exactly. not you guys right? no definitely not right and but it's the place is packed Right. And we're like the third out of fourth uh, out of four bands, so we actually have a great slot. Yeah. Right. But the uh, the last band, the woman lead singer, had a uh, prosthetic leg. Mm -hmm. Okay. And they they knew like it was the it was a New York Times, and so the fourth band would have probably gone on at like one o'clock or yeah. two o'clock. Right. And so the Larry, the uh -huh. promoter, uh, said, you know, because this woman has like a fake leg you have to be fourth you instead of third. Because oh, okay. she's in pain, which is well, fair enough. Yeah, right. right. So, so you became the headlining act. We became the headlining. And so we go behind the stage. The place is packed. You know, everything's rocking. Yeah, this is going to be fine. This is great. Oh, yeah. There's like, don't worry. Like, you know, this is a, this is a draw, late draw, you know? Because yeah. yeah. we, we were going to go into like two or something yeah. like that. Yeah. So like the curtain opens. <laughs> and there is like nobody. 
Oh, one person, Dan Newberger. Yeah. You know Dan yeah, Newberger? Exactly. And, you know, so we play like eight songs. And then like the sound man kind of through the monitor system, he could have just yelled because there's only three people in the club. Right. Kind of said, just one more song, guys. Because yeah. <laughs> he wants to go home. Because he yeah. wants to go home. Yeah. Right. And, um, you know, it became a line in one of actually a, a, a more recent yeah. song yeah. where we talk about. Uh, That's that really funny. Yeah. But yeah, that was, that was. Now, did you, did you guys at that point know that it had dwindled down to? No, not until like the, not until like. So the there was a reveal. Yeah, was a reveal. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. really funny. Yeah. Wow, that's a good gig. Yeah, that's a really that good a gig. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? All these years later, it makes for a better story than a good gig. Oh, it's funny. You know, like that's what yeah. I think. Like when you have the, if you come out of it and you're like yeah. alive, like I'm hearing this story and I'm, I'm thinking I'm about to hear you guys got beaten up or something. Oh, no. You know, but you come out of that and you're okay and now you've got something you could laugh about and tell the kids. Oh, we have a lot of, yeah. a lot of funny stories. What? You got beaten up once? Yeah. Where? We played that. Arch Street Empire place. Oh, that's right. What happened? Yeah. <laughs> I, Mike Frank, we were walking by a room. We, you know, we're kind of in the back of the club, in the, one of the offices. There's a poster yeah. up with a band. And Mike said, check it out, Jim. I used to live in a house with this woman in Boston. Oh, right. Right. So he brings me into the office to check it out. And two of the women who were working the club, they like saw us in there and like, you can't be in here, you can't be in here. You know, they're like shushing us out, you know? Right. I was like, okay, we're getting out, you know? And I think in the course of continuing being kind of pushed out of the room, I probably said something a little rude. <laughs> so Next we can take I out knew, the word probably, can't <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Next thing I know, this like coked up bouncer gets me and just like grabs me by the throat, like in, you know, Roadhouse or something, pushed me up against the wall and started taking shots at me. Really? Yeah, that was bad, yeah. I would think that would be yeah. bad. You know, yeah. How soon afterwards time. were you able to laugh about it? Uh, it took me a couple days on that one. Yeah, yeah I yeah, was that's... really mad for a few days. I was just yeah. felt like you know the world had done me wrong. Yeah. Right. <laughs> now, as you look back, do you think uh, maybe you deserved it a little bit? I deserved or? a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, that's funny. Well, I want to thank you guys for coming. This this is beyond fantastic. This is our first show with full live songs on it, and I can't wait to see it uh, when it gets in final, as they say. Well, thank you for having us, yeah, Dave. Oh, absolutely, you. man. This is great. Thank absolutely you, great. Yeah. And thanks to the staff here. Yes, thank you all. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Thank you guys at Riverview Studios. Oh, there we go. Um, Riverview Studios, as always, fantastic. All the folks who work here, the people behind the cameras, behind the board, the owner, the uh, producer, all wonderful. Riverviewstudios.com. If you ever need to film anything, you're insane if you don't check this place out. It's that good. I want you to stay tuned to guitartales.com and our uh, page on Facebook. We will announce future shows. Uh, we have a lot of people we're working on right now. Thank you so much for joining us. This is Dave Cohen signing off.